Welcome to The Heels Are Off, the podcast where five women from the same office kick the heels off and share both personal and professional stories, as well as advice on work-life balance and being a woman in business. This podcast would not be possible if it wasn't for this wonderful place that we all work. This podcast is brought to you by SmartPA, the global leaders in business support and admin services. Whether you are a startup, a growing business, or a global corporation, we have a SmartPA for you. In this episode of The Heels Are Off, we are joined by Noni for a special one-on-one episode to discuss her personal journey, her career highlights, and the importance of health and well-being in the current climate. We hope you enjoy. Well, welcome back to another episode of The Heels Are Off. I'm here with the lovely Noni. Hello. Hello. Uh, How are you doing? Honesty? Honesty. (laughs) Always honesty. Okay, so very sort of quick synopsis. Um, I'm in a huge gratitude place. My um, personal circumstance in terms of accommodation, my slightly introvert behaviours, uh, the fact I have children at home, etc. I'm probably in a better position than a lot. I've got great, a, lot, a great amount of work to do. I'm well distracted. But even I now am finding myself um, exceptionally lacking from the, the human sort of contact piece. And actually, um, we were sort of chatting before that... Um, Uh, I found myself this week sort of just simultaneously or spontaneously rather bursting into tears and repeating the phrase, I need a cuddle. cuddle. Um, So I am definitely feeling that side of it now. And I think, Mm. um, you know, I I just keep sort of, you know, worrying about, I guess, those people who, for whom they don't have the same circumstances and it's maybe more complicated for them. And yeah, it'd be really taking its toll, I think, on everybody now. For sure. I mean, not that anyone was particularly enjoying it in the start, but it did have that kind of novel appeal, didn't it? And everyone was finding fun things to do and absolutely quizzes. And isn't this all new and exciting? And I think now everyone's just kind of over it. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, a lot of things I'm doing tend to maintain myself. I sort of do a lot of craft and furniture building things, as you know, and I, my house is getting more and more scaffolding, industrial steampunk furniture in it. But unfortunately, due to the lockdown, the scaffolding companies that I normally get my stuff from have all shut down at the moment. And so now I've run out of materials, so I can't even distract myself. I can't even build. Oh. I can't even build. Well, here, here's a classic working from home problem. That's my dog barking at the postman in the background. Excellent. Um, a classic. Um, <laughs> so today, Noni, we're talking all about you. All about Noni. Enjoyable. The Noni show. Um, the Noni show. And I feel Not sure like, how I feel about that. <laughs> well, you've got some cracking stories. We've heard, we've heard many a story. Um, so I want to kind of, I want to kind of wind the clock back a little bit. Start with like, you know, mid-20s, early-20s Noni. Where is she? What's she doing? How is life? Start from the beginning. Okay, so I'll go back a little bit further because, um, you know, looking from a, where was I in my 20s, there's kind of a lead up to it. So I actually, um, I matriculated to university rather young. I was 16 when I matriculated and I, mm. I actually started a couple of days after my 17th birthday. Um, right on that sort of fast track, high flyer type. Um, I actually flunked out of university for a variety of reasons that just wasn't fitting with my lifestyle choices at the time. No I did not know that about you. Yeah, well, I, I, I joined very young. I think the thing is, intellectually speaking, I was more than capable, but emotionally speaking, my maturity levels were somewhat as they would be for 16, 17 year old. <laughs> and what ended up happening was um, the, the sort of the, the, the lights of the clubbing scene in the 90s attracted me. I think we've, we've heard in one of these pieces before about my <laughs> your, podium dancing your days. Your dancing days. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so essentially that attracted me a little bit too much and all that goes with that. And I, I found myself just not really enjoying the university piece. So I actually paused my, my um, degree rather than leaving entirely um, when I was 18. 
Um, and I actually never went back to complete it. But I, I, I got a series of opportunities in the job environment, which prevented me from going back. I didn't really see the point. So my life mm. kind of took a different trajectory. Um, so actually, one of the first ones, though, is quite an interesting one, because my I mean, I'd had a variety of little jobs and things that I'd done. But my first injection of a proper job was um, as a conference manager for a really well established and exceptionally um, elite hotel in York, which is oh, actually yeah. where I went to university as well. Um, it's a job that was advertised at very high pay, back, pay bracket for the era and wanting a lot of experience, which clearly at sort of 17, 18, I did not have. And I got sort of cautioned against it. You know, even my family who are well aware of my um, sort of aim high bar told me I would never have any chance of getting it and I really shouldn't do it. And yeah, which was odd for me because my parents were, my parents are huge encouragers. Um, Mm. They've always been my biggest sort of fans and they weren't suggesting that I shouldn't go for it because they didn't think I was capable as a human being. They just felt that given the environment, I wouldn't get what I wanted out of it and it would be a knock to me that I wouldn't recover from potentially. Mm. But I I essentially said, um, well, that's not me. So I went for the job. (laughs) I got it. Uh, I took a bit of a pay cut because I didn't have the experience or the background, but I took the job and really interestingly from there, essentially I got a series of um, a combination of headhunting and just natural knock on effects of where I went. So I, I kind of went from there to um, a car phone installation company, but in a higher project management sort of role, I got headhunted from there by a really large um, mobile phone network provider um that took me to london and i ended up sort of heading up business telecommunications thing um in london at the age of 18. Uh, that was a really interesting opportunity because i was given you know uh scope to do le- uh, sort of uh, presentations at chambers of commerce in london to sort oh, wow. of 200 businessmen that was a really interesting time though because i mean we're talking late 90s sort of say, young woman that must have been a challenge it, it was a challenge in more ways than one and it you know at that time i've got to be honest i was standing in front of a room full of business individuals who i would say 99 were men mm. um all sort of 30s 40s and over and i was an 18 year old girl let's be honest in an environment which was very masculine at the time mm. um and actually uh, one of the presentations that i was doing to some 200 at the end of the presentation uh, a very lovely chap approached me to essentially say what on earth would you know and what are you doing here you know first off you're a woman and secondly you're 18 it was a very very big knock to my confidence Mm. and actually still even today um everybody who works with me is well aware of my um difficulties around presentation and and public (laughs) speaking but i get thrown in at the deep end all the time for award ceremonies and all sorts which really helps well i'm accidentally good at it but i think you know it's difficult to explain to somebody what is going on inside me at the point that i'm having to do it it's like sheer panic and it, and it all stems from that so that was a really huge knock to my confidence certainly yeah. um and it probably impacted upon my career a little bit but but not hugely i think i've been quite lucky that i'm just one of those i'm a bit scrappy um, it's got you know, a, yeah prove them wrong exactly exactly so i went from that actually a, an organization that i then sold some telecommunication solutions to then headhunted me which were a they were a sort of transactional analysis organization. So they would go into big companies and support them through change and the psychology of that. It was a really interesting piece for me because as a mm. human being, we all know I like all the contribution piece and Absolutely. I love helping people. And yeah. I've accidentally had natural alignment in my personal goals and my career right throughout. So I worked for them for a while. Um, and unfortunately, again, a pretty big career knock. I was made redundant um, from that position. It was a sort of family run business. There was a, a variety of complex situations which I'm no longer bitter about which saw my um of course not of course not uh saw me being made redundant really early on and side by side with this though my health was um declining rapidly um there'd been a lot of things going on 
Um, and I think um, from a medical perspective, there was I was at that point unaware of what was going to happen, but I'd already was in the throes of a very serious um, inflammatory bowel disease called ulcerative colitis. Mm. Um, for those who don't know, it's quite similar to Crohn's, but it only affects the large intestine rather than the whole digestive tract. But um, I was well on my way to having quite a severe case of that. And the redundancies and the various career blows had sort of put me into a clinical psychological breakdown as well. Um, so come age of 20, I find myself hospitalized with um, both mental health issues, but also um, chronic physical uh, situation, which saw my parents being told I was about to die. Um, and it's then through my 20s, the whole 20s is a blur of... Uh, multiple surgeries, 12 in total, I think, and a variety of really revolutionary techniques to remove my large intestine and create what I refer to as my robo bowel. Um, <laughs> We've all heard about the robo bowel. The robo bowel. listening at home, we get them <laughs> weekly. <laughs> um, I had, I had um, you know, full ileostomy external bag for a mm. good while. So I had the, the trauma that comes with the physical representation of that young female or male um, who had previously had a washboard stomach to suddenly have your intestines on the outside of your body and various bags attached and all the trauma that goes with that. And, um, you know, in amongst that had two children, um, one of whom was actually induced early to do that first surgery. So a lot of trauma around lack of contact with my kids and the psychological effect for them. That was a really serious um, mm. ongoing situation, which saw me disabled out of work completely at a point in my career where I was really on the high, high fly track. Um, so I went from high flyer with with everything ahead of me to couldn't even walk wheelchair bound for months on end hospital bound for months on end and um, for a sort of period of uh, around about 10 years in total so it was a an interesting um an interesting bridge it is, point it is one it is one hell of a story and obviously you know in the office we get we get snippets and i <laughs> i always i do always find it very interesting because um for a lot of people and there's no shame in that. For a lot of people, that would floor them. That would be kind of, you know, life would be a challenge every day. So how how did you begin to to start out from that? How did you begin to, um, you know, how do you begin to recover and and carry on and start growing your career from scratch and 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 make a success of life again? How do you start? Um. Do you know, I don't think there's, I've actually had to put my cup of tea down. That's kind of a, That's a serious um, it is. It is. Um, so there's so many parts to it. And I think it's, it's really irresponsible. I would actually say to say there's any one approach to that, or there's any one reason, or there's, um, for me, I I've met so many different people through my health journey, um, technically with the same condition, let's say, but with totally different circumstances surrounding it, who have not had anywhere near the outcome I've had. So there's a variety of things in place. So all I can really say is, is what it was for me. I mean, I was lucky enough that I was brought up in a family where no limitations were put on me. I was brought up to believe that disability isn't a disability, it's a different ability. Um, my parents were really careful with terminology. My dad's a social anthropologist and linguist, and he was very particular about the words he used. So, you know, I, I sort of had that kind of upbringing so I didn't really agree with limitation anyway it was always about adaptation so if, if you get hit with a barrier it's not about now nah, I can't do this it's okay I have to do this differently um, and obviously that varies person to person and it's very different when somebody's telling you and your parents that you're about to die and you need to write goodbye letters to your children that's obviously quite a serious wall mm. um, and there's there's not an awful lot you can do about that but certainly in in any other aspect of my illness 
um, I took what I was being told and worked around it. The other thing I did was to be informed. And I think that is the most important thing. And I was actually quite shocked through my journey to, to learn how few people ask what's really going on. They, they just, they want to completely block it. They don't want to know. Mm. It's like, you're the doctor, deal with it, don't tell me. Um, uh, but I was very much, I need to know every single detail to the point that now doctors are a little bit frightened of me because I sound like a medic. I know all the terminology. <laughs> I know everything about it. It's quite intimidating. Um, but actually, on the flip side of that, I counsel at one of our local hospitals for people going through that because I have that knowledge um, from a medical perspective as well as the sort of psychology and the personal experience. So knowledge was a huge one for me, making myself really, really aware. I mean, I read and watched videos about all the surgeries I was going to go through um, so that I was in control of something. And I think that's really important from a mindset perspective, having some certainty or some control in a situation which is otherwise completely out of your control is really important. At the base of it all, though, for me is mindset, mm. 100% mindset. So as I say, the terminology, the lack of, like I don't put those blockers in my in my space, the disability, the, the limitation, these are negative words and I don't think they support in any regard. But also I think this aspect that I've never had a very specific career goal, I've had life goals. Mm. So the I think people that have a very specific trajectory from their career perspective may well have suffered more in that scenario than me because I wasn't feeling like something had been taken away from me in a career perspective. Instead, I was looking at it going, okay, my life is completely different to what I thought it was going to look like, but my life goals are quite sort of, um, they're a bit more general and therefore still attainable. So I suppose I felt less loss to some extent than other people might feel as well. Mm -hmm. um, but really it was all mindset. It was all just a lot to do with how I looked at it, thankfully who I am naturally as a person, and then putting that into practice and approaching it with that very sort of um, what I can take control of head and then taking control of it and doing something about it. Mm. Um, that's really all I can say on that one. Um, had I been a different person without that upbringing, without that mindset, you know, I've met lots of people on the journey who didn't have that and they really struggled, really struggled. Of course, of course. And I mean, health and well-being is very topical at the moment. It has sure. been, you know, especially mental well-being, there's been a, a very important spotlight on it. But, you know, if anyone's been living in a cave and isn't aware, there's a global pandemic <laughs> going on. And, you know, maintaining individuals' health and well-being and making sure that we're all, you know, in in a in a state to come out of this have those lessons helped you now would you say 120 million percent <laughs> um i mean so with my condition and with my medical history and everything there's so many things that come with that so i have absolutely no shame in saying that i've had seven years of psychotherapy to support me with health anxieties mm. i think it's irresponsible to believe that you're going to get through that kind of thing and just be strong enough to to muster on i think it's actually more um, sensible to approach it with a completely open mind that you will require support because that mm. that I would say was a blocker that I did have is that I, I felt I should be able to deal with it by myself for such a long time and and the emotional psychological effects escalated to a point where I, I broke and I had to seek psychotherapeutic intervention and support and throughout that journey I've become very very aware of so many aspects of myself you know and, I, and I'm, I'm not ashamed of any of them anymore and I think that me meant going into this I, before, you know, they even uh, sort of uh, publicized the lockdown was happening, I'd already started working out my program of mental and physical well-being. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I cut certain things out of my diet immediately before lockdown. Um, I've reduced my carbohydrates. I've, I don't drink any alcohol during lockdown. Mm -hmm. I've, I've done a variety of things to make sure that my immune system levels are as high as they can be and supporting that kind of clarity of mind. But on a more mental health basis, 
I started putting things in place before lockdown. Um, you know, I have uh, a variety of people in my in my support network, I suppose you would call it, that I talk to, I'm quite open with. Um, throughout my illness, I created safe spaces, like we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier, in terms of there are particular... Yeah, there are particular areas. Um, my car is one, my back door is one, where I've given myself permission to literally vomit whatever emotion I'm feeling at that point. And I've done it for so long now that it comes out when I least expect it. And I might actually wail or I might shout out some really bizarre <laughs> phrase like I need a cuddle or I'm really alone. Or, But it's, that, it's my permission space. And I think that's mm. really important because I think you know a lot of us feel like we have to survive stuff and we have to recover from stuff and we we put so much pressure on ourselves that we don't allow space for the reality this is difficult no matter mm -hmm. no matter who you are no matter what situation you're in we're human beings we thrive on contact and, and companionship it's it's very natural to us so this is completely unnatural and it will have an effect so there's that kind of i think for me the biggest piece has been the psychological permission to be okay with the fact that i'm not okay all the time and that then gives you the freedom to manage that so i do a lot of meditation and anxiety management and i'm really aware of myself i'm actually so good with the anxiety management that i can feel anxiety and panic coming through a particular pain in my foot it's a nerve ending point that i've become really aware of and if i get that twinge i instantly go and meditate yeah. i go and do things and it means i'm not getting to those crunch points where it's really traumatic it's just but it is a constant management and i think it's the permission element but it's also the awareness element if you're not allowing yourself to have those moments where you're less than your best and if you're not you know forgiving yourself for it if you're not managing um, ahead of time that's where you're going to have the problem so i do a lot of that yeah it's it's so true like you know, we talk about social media a lot. I'm obviously a big fan of social media. I work in marketing. I practically live on social. But social and Instagram is full of people being, how productive am I? Look, my kids are learning. I'm being really fit. I'm doing those exercise video. Look how tidy my perfect home office is. And you're like, no, don't yeah, need it. No. There's so much like productivity shaming on there. It, it is it driving me mad. So I've pretty much come off social. Um, the, th the thing with that is as well, though, that I think that in a lot of cases, it's not actually true. I mean, oh, outside yeah. looking in, it's largely it's largely fiction. And it and it, that's because people aren't giving themselves permission to not be as perfectly OK as they think they're supposed to be. Um, and I've actually really not even remotely in interacted with social media I'm once or twice in lockdown. But actually, I found myself just I disengaged mm -hmm. completely. Um, and the only things that I would really do on social at the moment are to share um, humor is pretty much the only thing I'm sharing um, on, on social, just humor. Joy. Yeah, a little bit <laughs> a little of joy. A little bit of joy for everyone. Um, I just want to touch on something else as well that you um, mentioned in your, in your early story, it, talking about redundancy. I think we were having a conversation with Sarah the other day about how you know redundancy is by no means a reflection on someone's performance. You can get redundant for 101 reasons, and it's nothing to do with you as an individual. You know, It's not performance-related. It's not mentally raised it's not personal but it does have an enormous effect on your confidence i myself have been made redundant and it really knocked me again relatively early on in my career and you do spend a lot of time going oh my god i'm never going to get another job no one's going to hire me they've seen i've been made redundant it is a real impact and again that's awfully relevant at the moment there's a lot of people being furloughed there are unfortunately going to be made redundancies you know we I don't think the government can save every job. They've said that. So there will be a lot of people who will be feeling similar feelings. Um, what would your advice be having been through that to those people? You know, how, how do they 
pick themselves up and um, you know look to bigger and better things well again it comes from it comes from uh, from me being able to say anything is, is a the great wonder of hindsight because actually for me at the time I took it exceptionally badly mm, I mean same. it's pretty much the the icing on the cake that led to a psychological breakdown um, because for me as a human being I'm quite self-critical anyway um, and I'm influenced a great deal by people's impressions of me I, I don't like um, you know for example even something simple like if something takes if somebody takes a disliking to me for no valid reason I find that really unjust and it, and it really seriously affects my personal um, experience of myself and society and interaction and everything so at the time I, I suffered exceptionally badly and I really took it very personally as a complete slight on my ability but not from a I wasn't upset with them directly I was actually more upset that I had failed and that's exactly how I took it and it really really crushed me mm. so looking back and everything I've learned in between um, and you know obviously after that redundancy I had a brush with well, not a brush. I had a, a 10 year fight, which turned into a 20 year experience with an, a potentially terminal illness. So that's opened my eyes in a lot of different ways. And I'm actually exceptionally grateful for that because it means that I can now look back and kind of go, right, what's really valuable and what's not. And I think in the case of redundancies, again, the issue is kind of balancing a bit of realism with self-awareness. So the realism is the permission, the acceptance of this is how it's going to affect me because that's quite natural mm. you are going to feel this you are going to feel um personally slighted you are going to question yourself and it's being aware of that and then being able to talk to yourself about that and and that's where the realism comes in because you need to keep reinforcing with yourself it's it's, it's affirmations for some people for others it's just a quick chat to yourself for others it's you know practical anxiety management etc but for me, it's about saying, you know, here's the facts, especially in today's current situation. Mm. Redundancies are happening and it's no one's fault. It's mm. completely out with the control. So it's, it's reinforcing that this is an unprecedented situation. This is not personal. My employer is suffering as much as I am. Businesses may be suffering as much. Uh, you know, so it's it's that realism of this is not something that anybody could control. Mm. Um, and, and, and blame in this kind of scenario is completely uh, worthless, I think, in, in terms of your own personal development. There might be place for it in, you know, future management of such situations. But for you as an individual, it's accepting how you're going to feel and then addressing that really openly with yourself. And then comes into place the management elements. So, you know, focusing on your personal well-being, your personal care, and that positivity piece. And it sounds to some a bit airy-fairy, but it really is, hmm. it's, it's, a, it's not simple to do, but it's a simple process. It's like, I need to look after me. That's what's actually important. Constantly telling yourself that you're, you're, you're worthwhile, you're, you know, all of those things. I think that's really the most important thing about that for is sure. the enforcement of the reality of it but just being aware of how you are going to feel and, and prepping for it hmm. I think there's a lot of practical things that people can do you know if you are furloughed and you have got or you know maybe without employment and you are looking for you're looking to get back to work you know you can be learning you can be you know researching online you can be preparing yourself for employment you can be you know you can be there's practical things that you can be doing I know when you know at the end of that kind of where we left Noni you decided to start your own business didn't you I did um and completely off off piste really um to to frame that what when we were talking about terminology in terms of disability and limitation what happened to me is is quite it was it was literally a day turnaround um i i received my car blue badge from the council my disabled parking badge and 
I just, I don't know whether it's an epiphany or, or what it was, but it just suddenly came crushing down on me. My, my, my improvements in health were exceptional in comparison to what I was told they would be, but they'd stopped. And I couldn't quite work out why they'd stopped. And I was really frustrated by this notion that I had no further to go. And then I got this disability badge from the council. And, and whilst I had a gratitude for the, for the support, um, and, and actually, to be honest, I was on long-term disability benefits, which when you're in that category are, are perfectly functional benefits. That, you know, it's not a small amount of money. And I could have functioned forever on that. I was given a, a life's pass to work. So I, I had no issues. But it still, for me, wasn't the life that I wanted. And I wanted to have more scope out with that to, you know, provide better experiences for my children and, and things like that. And then this day I get this badge and it dawned on me that the constant reinforcement from everybody else that I was disabled, this disability allowance, this situation. And I'm not, by the way, I should preface this by saying I'm not suggesting that this is the same for everybody. Absolutely. Okay? Yeah. Um, at all. And there are some people who are, you know, with limitations the word is not great, but with a situation where the adaptations around them from society aren't good enough to support them. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there, there are situations where you can't do this. But for me, I just felt, okay, the rest of the world is telling me I'm disabled to the point that I am now believing it and it's become a mind blocker and my mm -hmm. own health and well-being is now halted. So I rang up my disability benefits people and I said, I want out. And they thought I was completely mental. Um, <laughs> so have you got mental health issues as well as physical? Um, and um, also, given the fact that I had mobility issues, genuine mobility issues, um, I, I really went for a particularly weird one. So I, I actually thought, well, I, I've been out of the game so long. I'm not going to get employed in the places I want to get employed. So I'm just going to start my own business as a cleaner. I'm, I've got OCD. I'm great at it. Let's give it a bash. And um, my then partner's mother was a cleaner for a lot of the really swanky homes in Edinburgh. Um, it was a decent enough pay. And I thought, well, let's give it a go. Mm. Um, and I had a kind of deal with the, the people that I was cleaning for, you know, listen, I'm going to charge you for two hours because that's how long it should take. But it may well take me four or five at the moment because of my physical limitations or um, issues that I'm currently experiencing. And um, they were OK with that. So it was a really interesting sort of uh piece so I would sit for you know I would kind of go around these houses for five or six hours for what should take two but what I noticed is very very quickly my physical abilities um got better and better and mm. better and just by using myself in a different way and by um the mental sort of approach of a belief every day because I was going and doing something physical even with differences to how I had to do it I was having to adapt the job around me and having to make allowances for how long it was taking the improvements were massive mm. and within kind of I think within about four or five months I was at a point where nobody had a clue anything was wrong with me that's um, fantastic that must have been it, such a, a moment of personal victory massively massively and I should point out that after this I still had a further three surgeries I still had some major problems I ended up in hospital for nearly five months and um, other stuff happened but the mindset totally shifted it, it would t I, I was no longer disabled. I was a person who had been dealt a particular deck of cards. This was my deck of cards and how I played it would have to adapt at different points. But ultimately, mm -hmm. it was still playable. I think that's that's what the change was. And from that, the knock on effect for the career was hilarious because one of the houses I was cleaning in, um, I got because I was there so much and for so long, I got chatting a lot to the people that owned the property. And um, the, the, the chap in one of these areas happened to be um, a really uh, well-connected individual who, through talking to me a lot, kind of kept saying, w what are you doing this for? You know, what's, what's, <laughs> what, you know, with your capability in terms of, um, your, you know, your, your background from a career perspective and, and, and your sort of... Your um, mind. What, yeah, my mind. Why, why have you chosen to do this and not something a little bit different? And um, 
I had lengthy chats with him and before I knew it, he put me in touch with some colleagues of his and some connections who were running a really interesting business continuity firm. Um, and I, I started um, suddenly overnight my own professional assistant consultancy working for this organization. And knock on effect from that, I just got referral after referral. And before I knew it, I think you're talking maybe a two year span from when I signed off disability to I was hitting a 4K a month mark as my own personal assistant business. It's amazing. It's amazing. I know two years isn't like two minutes, but it's amazing how you managed to turn that situation on its head. Yeah. And with surgeries in between. And I actually I also did a music diploma simultaneously. So I remember um, a couple of funny stories sitting in sitting in hospital on heavy duty opiate medications after surgeries, trying to write my um, essays for my tutor to mark and also doing work for a business continuity firm. And they were great. They made quite a few allowances for me. I've actually got a um, one of my um, submissions to my tutor, it's fantastic. It's all about the echoes of medieval liturgy and 20th century music. It's very complex um, music kind of concepts. But about halfway through, when I got the submission back, there's a big paragraph circled, which um, he's just kind of put a note beside it. We haven't included this in our calculations on your on your marks. Because essentially I was talking, I was clearly on a lot of opiates and I was talking about a pink elephant um, called George and his friend who was a giraffe. And it was just, it was <laughs> oh like God. proper hallucination. Um, and similar things happened with the, with the company I was working for, you know, there was a couple of times I, I slipped on KPIs or I had um, maybe made some mistakes and things. But, you know, I think, again, there it was complete honesty with them. They knew what was going on the whole time. Um, and they they kept sort of saying to me, you know, if you're in hospital, let's just take a break. But my mindset needed it. So I was saying instead of taking a break, let's reduce the hours. Let's accept that there may be some implications in terms of when I'm particularly out of my head on opiates and, and let's work around that. Um, I reduced their, their fees and things like that to kind of accommodate. Um, and that meant, though, that we built this exceptionally strong mm. mutual respect that that helped me just keep going and keep going. And they were exceptionally helpful um, throughout. Uh, so I'm not going to take it all on myself and say it's all down to my mindset and my approach. There was a lot of people that were very supportive throughout. Mm. But I think the honesty piece and being as I say, being informed, but also informing others really helps people to connect on a human level that they become part of your story mm. um, and they become part of your support network as well. A, so, good, a good support network. I mean, people can do it without one, you know, it's all doable, yeah. but a good support network is such a, is such a bonus when you're going through any challenge, you know, even nowadays people, people will be so grateful for the, the, you know, the friends and the family and the colleagues and everything that they can speak to, to help, Absolutely. to help guide them. I think it's, it's something that we should all be very appreciative of, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, and then you found, you found us, you found Smart PA. Well, interestingly, I had another nasty life experience which brought me to Smart PA. So I have this very successful PA business. I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing, but I'd hit capacity. I couldn't work any more hours than I was working. So my earnings were limited to that level. I had no pipeline because I had no time for a pipeline. I couldn't network. And the backlash of the recession hit and I lost all my clients one by one. And um, oddly enough, doing their bookkeeping, I kind of knew that long before they did. Um, <laughs> so it was a little bit of an uncomfortable one for me. But uh, I actually, I put my feelers out. I thought, okay, I, I have to start from scratch, ground zero. But it wasn't, I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a knock, but I'd been there so many times before. Mm. And, I, and I, I think that's the perpetual, I'm a perpetual optimist. And I don't see failure in, in the way that um, some people might. Like it's not, it's not, a, nowadays, even if I think it's a personal failing of some description, I, I give myself that realism check. And I'm like, that's just the reality of life. This is how it works. It's not over. You've got that hope. Let's, okay, get back to scratch. What do we do now? Mm -hmm. So I literally put out some CVs to a bunch of um, different people looking to basically build up my client base again. 
And I stumbled across Smart PA because obviously when you're searching for, for all things PA, they're exceptionally there we um, are. <laughs> transparent and, and, and up there. And, and very, I mean, I was, I read quite a bit about the organization. In terms of alignment, it just was like a beacon to me. Mm. Um, you know, the brand values, the concept, why it started. And also from a practical perspective, because bear in mind, I was a successful self-employed PA. Mm -hmm. um, now, to be honest, I was top of my game. I did consultancy on it as well. It's quite it's quite rare to, to find as many at that successful level because we have these issues of capacity, um, lack of pipeline, all of that background. And looking at the smart pay proposition as a whole, and, and I was thinking every single thing that I didn't have, which would have helped me sustain that crisis, could be found in the smart pay proposition. You know, had I been to smart be. PA, I wouldn't be having this issue now. Mm -hmm. So so there was just so much there. And I, I, I fired off a, a CV and... I got some contact back. Um, I think, you know, straight away there was a bit of interest in my backstory. And suddenly I find myself on the phone to our lovely CEO, Andrew Wright, on a video call whilst I believe he was in Spain somewhere. Um, and it was a really interesting call because one of the first things I did, and I, I, when I get nervous and I'm in those sorts of scenarios, I tend to um, project an overconfidence, which um, sort of protects me. And I, I started to tell him all the spelling mistakes that, that I could see on a, on a website page. And, and, and you know, my, my interview too. <laughs> And my suggestions of how, and they, you know, they'd all been proofread, but not every proofreader is infallible, you know. So it was looking at, and I, I would do this this way instead of this. So I ended up kind of, um, I think he was a little bit, um, I think, you, well, you know, Andrew, I think he really enjoyed that. Um, you know, he took yeah. it as a challenge. And we had such a positive conversation. And then before I knew it, I was moving country because at this point, I should say I was in Ireland. Um, now, Edinburgh's my hometown. Oh, so you were, yeah. I'd contemplated moving back to Edinburgh when everything went a bit wrong because Northern Ireland, certainly at the time, uh, was not really on board with the remote working idea at all it was a really complex situation so all of my clients were actually Scottish or English based whilst I was living in Northern Ireland mm -hmm. um, and I was really struggling to build back up the right business so I had considered moving but bear in mind at this point I don't know that Smart PA are in Edinburgh I assume they're a big London firm um, because they're so global you, you sometimes make that assumption that their HQ will be yeah, in London. Yeah of course. Um, and uh, so I get offered an opportunity to come and work uh, as a smart PA, essentially, um, it, you know, near head office, supporting with some of their local clients. And I thought, oh, well, this is, yeah, it's not, it's not going to work now. So I, but I thought, okay, well, where, where are you based? Because I hadn't actually looked on the website. I don't know why. Um, and then I, it's, you know, we're, we're in Edinburgh HQ. And I thought, okay, that's, that's Meant the message. That's, that's a bolt from the blue. So within four weeks, I moved. Um, I upped my little family, um, wow. moved across the waters, landed in July of 2015 and started working on a, a really interesting project for a local client, which is actually a full revamp, well, actually not even a revamp, a rebuild of a new, uh, very high class jeweler's store. So you can imagine being part of the project management team was phenomenal because I was getting to choose gunmetal curtains and <laughs> crazy stuff. Oh and my God, heavenly. Yeah, very often trying on a Rolex, you know, it was, it was really, really exciting. Um, and obviously I worked, um, again, because of who I am and my mindset, when, when something falls in front of me like that, that seems to make sense, I tend to, I, I will go all out to prove myself and to, to make the best of it. Because I think that's, you know, that's the bit where you have so much control over what you put in. So I put in my everything and, um, you know, single mum with kids trying to work in an environment where I couldn't work from home. I was now having to work on site. Um, but the, the organization was so flexible because of their alignment piece and what they're trying to do. I was only working on site in hours where my children were either in care or at, or at school. And, and they were very flexible about that. So they worked with me to 
support a proposition that allowed me to be at home when my kids were at home and be at work when my, kid, when my kids were at school. So, um, and then, you know, one thing led to another and suddenly that project came to a close and I thought, okay, where are we now? And our lovely CEO and MD said, um, come in house, um, lead our training team, you know, Amazing. with your exceptional background and experience and having been a VA myself, you know, having seen all the pitfalls and really understanding why the proposition is so exceptional. Mm -hmm. It put me in a perfect position, I guess, to really support people um, who want to do that, um, you know, for a career. So essentially the rest is history because I've now yeah. been with the company. I'll be celebrating my five year anniversary in July, hopefully not in lockdown because I'll be very upset about that. I know, I we, need a, we need a big party for that. That's a big a deal. Big well, as our CEO is a huge David Bowie fan, I've actually suggested a fancy dress party of um, musical giants through the ages. So I should be Cindy Lauper. He should be David Bowie. Um, and you can I'm be whoever you so like. I'm so up for that. Who would I yeah. be? Uh, 80s is a bit pre-me. Could I do, could I do a Spice Girls thing? That's like late it 80s, right? It can be right? throughout the ages. No, yeah. The ages rather than the 80s. Oh, so right. Okay. Whoever, whoever you like. Yeah. So, uh, but I just, with my age bracket, Cindy Lauper is something that jumps out at me. I mean, the only other thing I'd be is Kurt Cobain, but I think that might be a bit of a weird one. So. Cindy Lauper's a great shout. I think yeah. you'll be able to pull that off. I mean, it is, it is one hell of a story. And I mean, you must look back and just think, holy, well, sorry. You must think, yeah. oh my goodness, like what, what have I achieved? This is something. And it is worth noting that you did that with two two small boys so yeah i've been single mom for 15 years yeah so it's like it, there's a lot of a lot of things to be really proud of and with parents i should point out as well there are perpetual hippies who have never stayed in one place more than two seconds so when we talk about support networks i've had to be my own support network mm -hmm. my children have been a huge support network to me my parents are very supportive human beings but with the distance of living in the states for example there's very little they can physically do to help me mm. um now um they were about for the really pivotal points of my illness they came and returned to support me because i couldn't walk i mean i was wheelchair bound and and as, as we all used to laugh I looked like Edward Scissorhands had a go at me because I had foot long scars and staples and so they've been support when it was absolutely necessary but I think yeah I mean I'm hugely hugely proud of it mm. as I said it's it's no accident I set out to recover I set out to adapt I set out to refuse to accept my life goals were not attainable mm. but instead go okay, how can I attain them now because this has changed or that's changed. And along the way, I think because of that openness, um, I have naturally aligned with people who are equally open, equally um, accommodating. I mean, our own uh, Andy and Sarah, you know, they, they um, I've gone through multiple permutations in the business. I've worked in marketing. I used to have your job. Didn't do it as well, I have to say. But um, I, oh, stop. You're, way, you're way better. Um, oh, stop. But I, I've been in marketing. I've been in L&D. I've been in the business support team. And I have this wonderful experience of the whole organization which definitely supports me to do my job more more appropriately mm. because i have a really good understanding but you know that's that's no accident either that's because i was open to it and because i aligned mm. with people who are equally open to that opportunity so they've provided opportunity after opportunity after opportunity because i'm open to it and because mm. they're open to it and i think yeah i look back and i'm exceptionally proud i'm exceptionally grateful and funnily enough i've had um there's sort of two things that i think are really interesting had I continued on my career trajectory without any of this illness in between, I would probably be in exactly the same place I find myself in now in terms of the level of the career ladder that I'm on. Mm. I'm actually quite high up that ladder. I head up a department. You know, I'm, I'm only 41. That's quite a natural place to be if you've done a 20-odd year career. 
Um, and I had that massive 10 year gap in the middle and I've still bounced in at that level. So that's a really big thing. It's like no matter what happened, because I was focusing on the life goal rather than the career goal, I've come back in and found a really weird way to get there. But I'm, I'm back in where I would have been anyway. Mm. Um, and I think as well, the other thing I get asked this a lot is if you could change you know, your illness, if you could take it away, if you could go back and genetically code yourself differently, would you do it? And my answer without any shake whatsoever is absolutely not. Mm. It's been probably the most powerful thing in my entire life it's taught me so much about myself about my capabilities and I think that's the thing you know I'm lucky I was given a mindset piece when I was young that allowed me a lot more freedom in in how I approached life I'm also a very spiritual person so not to get gooey but I don't think this is it so I'm not Mm. bound by the idea that that if I don't get x y and z materially that somehow I failed because it's all about growth spiritually so I'm, I'm lucky in all of that but I think um the 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 illness because i approached it like that gave me scope to just learn so much more Mm. that has um opened a massive massive mind area that's just like the sky is literally the limit for me like i i am such a hopeful person i'm so optimistic and even this situation it's chronic it's not nice for a lot of people and it has implications for huge numbers of people and but nonetheless, I'm just that kind of person where I'm suffering a little bit, having these things that I have to manage anxiety wise, that kind of thing. But my overriding feeling is that, you know, the world will come out of this great and everything will be wonderful and we'll all be, you know, Mary Poppins dancing around with a better nature environment and everything. You know, I'm that kind of person. So I, mm. I take the knocks really well because of my illness now. Um, and I, I'm grateful for it. I'm not regretful of it at all. I'm grateful for it. Well, on that lovely optimistic note, I think we will we will leave it there for today. But thank you so much for sharing. That's a an awfully personal story, and it's it's lovely of you to share it. And it, you are right; you should be very proud of yourself because what a journey! Thank you very much. I tried to keep the gory details out because I, I was warned that might not be well received. <laughs> yeah, we well, found a nice balance. I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm normally quite fluid with those, but I thought for for other years maybe not. But no, yeah. No, thank you for letting me um, let me chat about it. I think it's really valuable. And obviously in, in the business that we're in, and particularly in the business support space, we're working with human beings every day, both on our client side and within our, our, our smart PA group. And um, I think, again, my, my experience has been invaluable because what it does and, and that openness, it supports people to feel able to talk about theirs. And there's so many people out there who have a variety of different things going on physically, mentally, emotionally that, that create barriers for them and I think what I'm really stunned by every time is that if you're able to just open up that little bit and be personal about your experience what you get back is phenomenal because Mm. people then feel you've given them permission to feel that Mm. and you've given them permission to experience it and I've had conversations that have gotten very emotional and very personal with a lot of our smart PAs and I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity as well because they can take something from that and it's like it's a pass it on so if anything from today's what I really you know want to do is pass on that that little bit of gem that be open be open with yourself be aware but be open with everybody else because we're all human beings at the end of the day and we, we can help each other through that kind of connection for sure mm, be kind be, be kind. kind well thank you so much noni my um, pleasure and to everyone listening at home we hope you stay safe we hope you stay well uh, and hopefully we will all be able to see each other again soon fingers crossed or i might have another cry and shout that i need a cuddle <laughs> i'll be there to cuddle you as soon as possible noni <laughs> Thank you, Georgia. Well, thank you. And goodbye to everyone at home. Stay safe. Bye. Bye.